turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read beginning in verse 8. Paul says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and right. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. We're going to talk about that phrase. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. As we begin our study this morning, I want to begin with that phrase and what Paul says in verses 15 and 16, where he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There is actually a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, and there are a lot of parallels, if you probably have noticed, between uh, Paul's letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. But Paul says there, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Uh, growing up, I was more familiar with this verse from the NIV, and we recently, as you know, switched to the ESV for our um, text for teaching from the pulpit. But I actually think that the NIV makes uh, is, is a better translation, and it says, make the most of every opportunity. The Greek word for time, which is what we get in the ESV, is actually chronos. And um, if uh, Paul had used that word, then the ESV translation would actually make more sense. Um, But Paul uses a different word. He uses the Greek word keros. And the problem is that there really isn't a very good translation in English for that Greek word. But essentially what it means is the moment, or an opportune time, or um, a period of opportunity. And the phrase altogether, make the best use of, or make the most of every opportunity in Greek, was a, an expression that was commonly used by merchants, and essentially meant, buy up the moment, Strike, we have a similar idiom that basically says, strike while the iron is hot, right? Um, Make the best possible use of the circumstance, lest this moment of opportunity be wasted. That's the sense of it. And you can get that sense, you know, if you think about um, purchasing something, and that's why it was an idiom that was used in commerce, 
Um, think about Jesus' parable of the, um, of the man who found in the marketplace a pearl of great price. And what did he do? He didn't go home and sit around and talk to people and say, well, should I buy it or should I not? He went out and he did it, right? He did what was necessary to take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, another way of thinking about it might be bidding in an auction, right? If you want to get your bid in, you got to be on top of things. you got to take advantage of the moment. So Paul tells us to strike while the iron is hot. To make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. So what are the opportunities Paul is instructing his readers to seize? We find the answer to that question really in verses 8 through 14. And if we could summarize it in a few words, I think it would be this. He is instructing the Ephesians to seize opportunities to be light in the darkness because the days are evil. Take advantage of the moment to be light in the darkness. And I think there is a connection between this, the first part of that, what Paul says, take advantage of the opportunities, and what he ends that section with, because the days are evil. There's a connection there. Because the fact that the days are evil actually enhances the opportunity that Paul wants his readers to seize. Because if they are to be light in the darkness, then it makes sense that the deeper the darkness, the greater the opportunity. Think about that. If you want to see the stars, you don't look for a crowded city street during the full moon time, right? If you want to see the stars, you look for the darkest place. Because it's in the darkest place that the, sh- the stars show up. And they are stunning in their radiance. Uh, how many of you have, have had that opportunity to find a dark place and see the night sky? It's incredible. You're not going to see that in Troy. Right? And he also, so he, he tells his readers, seize the opportunities afforded by these evil days. To be light in the darkness. And he also tells them what they need to do in order to make the most of the opportunities that they have. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And he goes on to say, Be discerning. Of what God's will is for what is best and what is good. That's one way to be light. In verse 15, he says it again. Be careful how you walk. And walking in Paul's letters is is an idiom for living, right? Be careful how you live. Be careful how you conduct your daily affairs. How you conduct your life. Not as unwise but it's wise. And if we could change it a little bit, I think Paul would agree that if we said, not walking in the wisdom of the world, but walking in godly wisdom. 
In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John chapter 2 and verse 6, John says, 1 John 2, 6, he says, Whoever claims to be in him, in Jesus, must walk as Jesus walked. So how can people make the most of the opportunities they have to be light in the world? Be like Jesus. Walk as he walked. Follow the light of the world. Did you catch what, what, what Jesus said there? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. Be wise as he is wise. Not in the wisdom of the world, but in the wisdom of godliness. Paul goes on to, to enumerate two things that happen when we shine the light of Christ into the darkness of the world. The first is in verse 13. Paul says, Everything exposed to the light becomes visible. And what he's saying there is that the light of godliness exposes the deeds of darkness. It exposes them. So simply by being godly, God's people bring light to the evil around them. They expose it. We often don't even have to say anything. We just have to do what is right. We have to live as children of light. We don't have to go around saying, Oh, I saw that. What was that? It's Saturday Night Live, the, the nun. I forget her name. But she was always going around, you know, talking about evil. The church lady. The church lady that was it. We don't have to say anything often. We just need to live as children of light. And by living as children of light, we will expose the deeds of darkness. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 12 and verse 20 when he says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. You will expose him to himself. You will sear his conscience. He won't be able to point at you and say, well, I wouldn't be this way if you weren't that way. You'd have to face himself. And Peter makes the same point in his first letter, 1 Peter 2 and verse 15. He says, it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we live as children of light, when we do what is right, we leave those who do evil without an excuse. They are forced to face themselves and deal with their own conscience. The light of godliness exposes the evil things that are done in the darkness. So that's the first thing that Paul says. When we live as children of light, we expose those things that prefer to be in the dark. 
The second thing he says that we are able to accomplish when we live as children of light is in verse 14. And he says, the light, essentially, the light of godliness has the power to transform darkness into light. He says, everything that is illuminated becomes light. The light of Christ not only exposes evil, but it also has the power to transform people from darkness to light. In fact, that is what Paul says has happened to everyone who has come to faith in Christ. He begins by saying at one time in verse 8, You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say that we were in darkness, though that would certainly be true. He says we were darkness. But now we are light in the Lord. The light of the world has transformed us from darkness to light. And now, like Jesus, we are the light of the world. Do you see the progression there? Jesus is the light of the world. All who follow him not only walk in the light, but are transformed into light, and they too then become the light of the world. And then what does Jesus say? He says, you are the light of the world. Don't hide that light. Let it shine for all to see. So Paul says, take advantage of the opportunity afforded by these evil days by being the light of Christ, so that those on whom the light shines might also be transformed. And as we shine the light of Christ by our godly conduct, we declare this message to the world, which he gives us in verse 14. Essentially, he says, as you are light in the world, this is what you are saying. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. An invitation to a dark world and people who are darkness to wake up and be transformed by the light of Christ. I would suggest that this instruction that Paul gave to the Ephesians almost 2,000 years ago is as relevant in our day as it was in his day. If you disagree, talk to me after. I think we would all agree that we live in evil days. The impact that COVID-19 has had on our lives and on our society is incalculable. Not only in terms of the cost of human life, but the untold economic impact, the impact on education, the impact on mental health, and we could list and list and list. On top of that, we were confronted last summer, summer with the harsh reality that racial injustice is still a problem in our country. And the reaction to that evil has in many ways been equally evil. Looting and destruction in our cities, a witch hunt essentially on social media and in the mainstream media, 
finding anything that anyone has ever said that could possibly smack of racism and putting it out there to shame and judge. And many, many people are caught in the crosshairs of that. Political divisions that have been fomenting for years have been growing increasingly antagonistic. Reasonable debate over political differences seems to have become a thing of the past and it's been replaced by manipulation of the truth and name-calling and acrimony and hatred. And I would suggest that what happened at our Capitol this past week is inexcusable. But I would also suggest that it is the result of a long process of growing political dysfunction for which both sides are responsible. But in the face of all of that, I believe Paul would say to us, look at the opportunity you have. Seize this moment. How brilliantly could the light of godliness shine in the darkness of these evil days? Don't hide your light, but make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. For us as Christians, these are not days to waste time lamenting about the loss of our carefree lives or pining for happier times when life was easier and peaceful. I would love that too. But Paul says, these are days of opportunity to live in the confident hope of the gospel, to let the light of Christ shine through us, and in so doing to declare to a world in darkness, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So in the time remaining this morning, I want to reflect on how we can take advantage of this unprecedented opportunity to shine the light of Christ in the darkness. And there, of course, we we could be here till dinner time. Anybody want to stay till then? There are all kinds of things that we could say, and I just want to focus on one thing that I see happening around us where we can have a huge impact and where right now I'm not sure we are. And that is in relation to fear. I want to talk about fear. As I look around me, I see all kinds of people who are overwhelmed with fear. There are a lot of people who are afraid of COVID. There are others who are afraid that COVID is being used as an opportunity to impose tyranny. Others are afraid of racial injustice and fear that the country is about to be overrun by white supremacists. Others are afraid that in the name of racial justice, the country is about to be overrun by socialism. And the list goes on and on and on. Fear of the vaccine, fear of the deep state, fear of the mark of the beast and the antichrist. We could continue that list, I think, for a long time. 
People are afraid. Where is all that fear coming from? I would suggest that it is being sold to us by people who do not have our best interest at heart. The mainstream media is selling fear because it's good for their business. Social media is selling fear for the same reasons. Politicians are selling fear to get us to buy into their agendas. There are those who would have us believe to bring it kind of closer to home. There are those who would have us believe that if you don't wear a face mask, you or somebody you love will probably die of COVID. That is selling fear. There are others who would have us believe that if you wear a face mask today, tomorrow you will be standing passively by while they round up your neighbors and send them to concentration camps. That is selling fear. Having said all that, I want to make it clear. I'm not implying that the fears people have are baseless. Sometimes fear is baseless. We all remember the boogeyman under our bed. But more often than not, it is sparked by real threats. COVID is a real thing, and it can be lethal. Racial injustice is a real problem. Socialist ideology is on the rise in this country, and it will undermine our heritage And our religious liberties as God's people are under threat. I am not saying that I don't believe those things. I know they're true. It's not as though they aren't real. The problem is that fear distorts the danger and causes us to react rather than respond. Notice what Paul says. Take care to discern what God's will is. He is saying, learn to respond. Don't react. Respond. So I want to think for a bit about some ways that fear affects us that perhaps might help us to understand how we can respond in this environment in such a way that we can be light in the world. First, fear is a great motivator. It's a powerful tool to get us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. People spend billions of dollars because some insurance salesman has convinced them that their house is going to be eaten by termites or their children are going to be left destitute. Or because a doctor has convinced them that their husband won't love them if their body parts are sagging. Right? There are a million things that people are selling and using fear to do it. Satan used the same tactic on Adam and Eve. He convinced them that they were missing something that they desperately needed that God was holding something back from them and taking advantage of them. That's what fear is often used to do, to motivate us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. And Satan motivated Adam and Eve to disobey God 
by selling fear. Another thing that fear does is fear makes us gullible. And again, if you think about the account of the fall, Satan knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to mistrust God, he could also get them to believe just about anything. Think about that. Here is the living God, and humanity has rejected the living God in favor of what? Idols made to look like creatures. That, and I've, 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 I've mentioned it before, but I, that passage always comes to my mind from the prophet Isaiah where he says, you know, there's this guy and he goes out to the woods and cuts down a tree and he drags it home. He cuts it in half. Half he chops up for his dinner and the other half he bows down and worships. This is crazy. Why? Fear. We will believe anything when we mistrust the author of truth. I find it ironic that at a time in our cultural culture and in our national in this national moment, when there is so much mistrust of our sources of information, and with good reason, that conspiracy theories abound. Fear leads to mistrust. And in that state of fear, if someone can get us to trust them, they can make us believe just about anything. Thirdly, fear leads to division and desertion. And when fear takes hold, those two things happen. The first thing that happens, or one of the things that happen, is people rebel against leadership because they don't like their decisions. And they are convinced that they know the right thing to do. And while normally you can have a a conversation with someone and say, hey, we disagree, but let's figure this out. When fear takes hold, what are the stakes? The stakes are suddenly high. Because if we don't do what I think we should do, then we're all going to die. That's what fear does. And the problem is that there is rarely agreement on what the right thing to do is. Right? Everybody agrees that whoever's in leadership is totally off the wall. But they don't agree with each other either. And the result is that people stop listening to each other. And people who should be standing together begin to divide and desert. I received a letter this week from someone who's decided to leave the church because we are too politically conservative. And there are others who are considering leaving the church because we are not conservative enough. Others have left because our COVID guidelines are either too strict or not strict enough. And churches across the country are experiencing the same thing. This is a bit of an aside, but I just want to clarify. I'm sorry to see those people go. But we have a long history at TCC of affirming that the Church of Jesus Christ is bigger than our secondary differences. 
theologically. It's bigger than our personal preferences of worship style, and it is bigger than our political inclinations. And I don't have any intention of abandoning those commitments because I'm afraid that people might leave. Another thing that happens when people are overwhelmed by fear is that fear leads to bad judgment. Why do you think it is that the kings of Israel so often gave in to idolatry? It was fear. They weren't sure that they could trust God to protect them. So what did they decide to do? They decided they were better off covering their bases. So, you know, maybe this time this God will protect me or that God will protect me. And if you read the prophets, you can see that clearly. The same fear led them to make political alliances with the nations around them, even though God had warned them not to do it. And those alliances ultimately led them to compromise, and before long, they had wandered far from God. I've thought a lot about these things, especially as it relates to the current situation that we are in as a nation, and what my own personal commitments should be. I've laid awake at night. Perhaps some of you have too. What should my personal commitments be amidst the fray of people telling me what they should be? Right? What should they be? Both as a citizen of this nation that I love dearly, and as your pastor and a minister of the gospel. I've been told that I need to make my position more clear so that people know where I stand. So here goes. I am decidedly conservative in my political perspective. But I also find that as the political landscape becomes increasingly polarized, I have trouble sensing that either party fairly represents me. I would give my life to defend this country, and I don't say that lightly. I would also give my life to defend our Constitution. And I would give my life in the defense of religious liberty. But let me be clear. There are some things I will not do for my country. There are some things I will not do for the Constitution. And there are some things that I will not even do to preserve religious liberty. God helping me, I will not compromise the gospel. I will not lead you into unholy alliances that cause us to drift away from what the gospel is about. God helping me. And God helping me, I will not, by my conduct in the public square, tarnish the reputation of God's people or bring dishonor to God's name. Remember back in Numbers chapter 20 when Moses in frustration struck the rock. Remember that? You think he was justified in his anger? Absolutely he was justified. 
Listen to what God says to him. Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of these people, you will not lead them into the promised land. Fear, right? You did not trust me enough to honor me as holy. That is a compromise that we, brothers and sisters, cannot make. We have an opportunity to shine with the light of Christ amidst the darkness of the fear that has overwhelmed our nation and our world. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And he says to the Ephesians that the fruit of the light is found in all that is good. And the word there can also be translated in terms of benevolence, goodness toward others, kindness toward others, in all that is right. And that means fairness, dividing properly. And all that is true, which is a reference to integrity, that is the fruit of the light. And that is what will make far more of a difference in this world than the things the world is clamoring to achieve and the ways they are clamoring to achieve them. See, the problem that we have is sometimes we get into the mindset of the, the, the ends justify the means and we're seeking a good thing. And we want to do this, and it's important for us. And so, you know, we may have to make some compromises along the way, but the problem that God warns us about over and over and over again is those compromises change you. And before long, you're no longer seeking the thing you thought you were seeking. And that's what happened to Israel time and time again. Instead of reacting to what's happening in fear... We have an opportunity to respond to what's happening with love, with confidence in God, with grace and humility, with poise that enables us to think clearly and make good decisions, and with unity. And it's as we do these things that we will be light in the world. We have a hope that cannot be shaken no matter what happens to this world. And again, I want to, just in case you're still wondering, I want to make it very clear. I am not saying bury your hand in the sand and act like nothing's going on. It's going on. But we are called to respond in confidence, not react in fear. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. What an opportunity. 
in the midst of the fear that is all around us, how bright could the light of Christ shine? If we would refuse to succumb to fear and simply live, I kind of wonder sometimes if we need to stop saying so much and simply live with the confidence and hope that the gospel gives us. There has perhaps been no greater opportunity, at least in my lifetime, for the people of God to demonstrate the power of the gospel at work than there is right now. And I think Paul would have us seize the moment before it slips away. Let's not squander this opportunity. Pray with me if you would. Father, we have heard some hard things. I have said some hard things, hard things that fall hard on my own heart and ears as they may have done on the hearts and ears of others. I pray that whatever is of you, that we would hold on to it, even if it hurts. And whatever is not of you, that by your spirit, you would brush it away so that we go forward from this message walking in the light so that we, in turn, can be light in this world. Where there is fear, Father, help us in faith to overcome it so that we can deal rightly, live with integrity, walk in wisdom, and make good judgments so that we can stand together as your people as a declaration of the power that is ours in Christ. Help us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.